welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, February 26th, we are starting a new series here on Sharper Iron that will take us through Isaiah chapters 40 to 66. It's hard to give a brief summary of the prophet Isaiah. He looms large in Holy Scripture. Isaiah's life and ministry were lengthy. He proclaimed God's word during the reigns of four kings of Judah. Isaiah's writing was extensive. The 66 chapters of his book have sometimes been compared to the 66 books of the Bible. Isaiah's preaching was relevant. His sermons hit home for the people of his day, for the people of the coming generations in exile, and for people still today. And perhaps that last point gives us the primary reason that Isaiah looms so large. He is one of the clearest preachers of Christ, to the point that he has been called the fifth evangelist, right there with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as those who wrote of the life and ministry of Jesus. Above all else, Isaiah wants us to see Jesus as our Emmanuel, as our Redeemer, as the Holy One, as the servant of the Lord who suffers for us. To see Jesus with the prophet Isaiah is our aim during this study. Today's episode will introduce us to the prophet, his ministry, and his writing. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, the Reverend Dr. Reed Lessing. Dr. Lessing serves at Concordia University St. Paul in Minnesota as the Edwin F. and Esther L. Lech Chair of Old Testament Studies. He is the Director of the Center for Biblical Studies and the Director of the Pre-Seminary Program as well. He also serves as Associate Pastor at Crossview Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota. Dr. Lessing, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks, Tim. Great to be back. So, Dr. Lessing, as you know from writing a couple of commentaries on these sections of Isaiah, to talk about Isaiah is a monumental task. Let's let's start where the prophet Isaiah starts in his book, in his introduction. Although it's not going to be a part of our particular study here on Sharper Iron, how does Isaiah introduce himself to us in the first couple of verses of his book? Yeah, so Isaiah tells us that... Uh, He's got a father uh, named Amos. This is Isaiah 1, verse 1. Um, and that uh, we would assume, since the verse continues uh, with the words concerning Jude and Jerusalem, that uh, Isaiah lives in the southern kingdom at this time in the 8th century B.C. Uh, most people think that he actually was a citizen of Jerusalem. And then he tells us about uh, some Judean kings, uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uh, so that much we know from uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, so with that information, then, we encounter some historical information that it's helpful to have context. This is one of the parts of the Old Testament. When you start talking about the kings, particularly the kings in the divided kingdom period, it can be easy to lose your bearing. So can you can you help us get some historical context? And I know we're, we're just kind of jumping into Isaiah here. Maybe if you can start with perhaps about the Exodus and lead us up to where we are in history to give us Isaiah's place. 
Yeah. Exodus is a a wonderful place to start, uh, especially with Isaiah 40 to 55, as our uh, listeners will learn over the course of the next several months. Isaiah 40 to 55 is in large part uh, uh, Judah's uh, next Exodus, right? Uh, Exodus deliverance, not from Egypt, uh, but in Isaiah, it'll be from Babylon. So we start right in the uh, 15th century B.C., 1446 B.C. to be exact, is when uh, most people would believe that Israel went through the Red Sea as on dry land and came out of Egypt. Uh, We know that uh, it took them three months to get to Mount Sinai. They were at Mount Sinai for a little over 11 months, and that takes us all the way from Exodus 19 in the Bible uh, to Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, where in Numbers 10, 11, they're at Sinai after a year, and God uh, tells them to move, to start marching toward the land flowing with milk and honey. Most of our listeners know that um, that didn't go so well. They ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. It would have been about a, a two-week journey, uh, but it took them 40 uh, and uh, then they finally, right, uh, get into the promised land after Moses dies in Exodus or in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Joshua takes them in in the book of Joshua. Uh, really, the train um, falls off the track in the book of Judges. We're told uh, four times in Judges, there's no king in Israel. Uh, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that really brings us then to Israel's first king. We need a king. That's what Judges implies and actually says four times. First king is Saul. He's rejected uh, by God. And then we have David. David, or about 1000 BC at this point in biblical history and world history. David is also going to be a significant person in the book of Isaiah. Uh, So I would just pause here. Uh, and reiterate the Exodus is a big idea for Isaiah, especially in chapters 40 to 55. But David is going to be a, a pivotal person uh, in chapters 1 through 39. And then then David, just the, the name David, only appears once in Isaiah 40 55. That's Isaiah 55 3. Um, So you might just kind of note that in your mind, or if you're taking notes, you're listening to this program, Isaiah 55.3 is a big connection um, that Isaiah is going to make with David. So then we go to David, and we have King Solomon, and then the split between his son Rehoboam, and then an upstart from the northern kingdom named Jeroboam. And that's uh, roughly about 965 B.C., and, and that actually brings us then, right, to the divided monarchy, all the way back to Isaiah 1 verse 1, uh, with the first king that Isaiah mentions uh, in the south, right? This is the uh, Judean line, not the uh, line of uh, Jeroboam in the north. Um, and Uzziah is going to die in uh, 740 B.C., uh, and in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, uh, Isaiah says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uh, so that is a very brief thumbnail sketch, uh, bringing us all the way to Uzziah uh, and his death, 740 B.C., and the beginning of Isaiah's ministry. 
Okay, so we've got Isaiah's ministry beginning 740 BC, the year King Uzziah died. That's recounted for us in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, since we're there in Isaiah 6, tell us a little bit about Isaiah's call into the ministry and, and how that influences what he writes and preaches. Wow. Uh, there's a, a number of uh, issues going on in Isaiah chapter 6. Many people would say that uh, chapter 6 would be a, a central pivot in the whole book. Uh, so let me just uh, highlight a couple of uh, features here. Um, the first would be in Isaiah 6, verse 1, um, Isaiah says um, that I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Uh, so those those two words, high and lifted up, uh, bring us uh, very close to uh the book of the prophet Isaiah. That's to say, he's going to use this uh, uh, expression three more times, all right? High and lifted up. Um, and he's going to use it in uh, 3310, referring to God, uh, Yahweh, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'll use uh, high and lifted up in 5715, and then he'll use it one more time. Um, before I get there, I simply want to accent the idea that um, in the book of Isaiah, God is this high and lifted up one, this totally other, uh, and, right, in chapter 6, verse 3, he's holy, holy, holy. So when Israelite authors want to emphasize something emphatically, they will do a three-peat, and they don't do three-peats very often. In fact, there are only three three-peats in the Old Testament. This is one of them in Isaiah 6, 3, holy, 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 which means he's high and lifted up. Uh, he's in a league of his own. Uh, he is uh, completely separate um, from everything and everyone, all right? So God in Isaiah is absolutely transcendent, transcendent. He's high and lifted up. Well, okay, so where's the fourth high and lifted up? That would be in the pivotal uh, most central section of Isaiah um, and the central section of the Old Testament, and indeed uh, the central section of the entire Bible. Uh, Isaiah's fourth servant song, uh, which begins in chapter 52, uh, verse 12, uh, and then continues through the rest of chapter 53. Um, but if uh, people are looking at their Bibles, uh, I'm sorry, it's a 52.13 through 53.12. Uh, so the fourth servant song begins in 52.13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Uh, so what do we make of this? Uh, we would say, uh, along with Isaiah, that this servant, who's the suffering servant, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, um, is on the same level as this holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, the New Testament is going to come along and uh, make much of this, right? Uh, Jesus is going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father in John 14, verse 9. We could use that verse to understand what's going on in Isaiah. If you've seen the servant who's high and lifted up, right? 52 verse 13. You've seen the Lord. You've seen Yahweh. Hmm. So that's the first point to make. 
Um, the second point, we're still in 6 verse 1, um, is the year that King Uzziah died. You see that? Um, but then what Isaiah goes on to say uh, in verse 5 of chapter 6, uh, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. All right. Lord of hosts means uh, Yahweh, uh, General Yahweh, Yahweh, the, the commander of Israel's armies. All right. So who's the King? Uzziah? or the Lord, right? Because Isaiah says there's two kings here, one in verse 1 and the other in verse 5. Well, oh. one is dead, <laughs> all right? So who's the reigning monarch of the universe, all right? Uh, Lord Yahweh is. So this is another theme uh, in the book of Isaiah, um, that there's going to be a lot of kings that come and go, uh, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 1 already. Uh, but there's only one king who is eternal, uh, and that would be the God who made heaven and earth. Okay, so then um, what happens then to Isaiah in chapter 6, 1 through 8 is that there is a, a death and resurrection. Uh, so what do I mean by that? Uh, he says um, in verse uh, woe is me. Um, and so woe quite often means I'm dead. He, he, he saw God, <laughs> all right? Um, and so he says, woe is me, I'm dead, I'm a man of unclean licks, etc. So um, Isaiah then dies uh, and confesses his, his spiritual uh, uncleanness, uh, and then God uh, atones for him, right? Um, in verse 7 of Isaiah 6, he touched my mouth and uh, said, Behold, um, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. So then Isaiah is, in a sense, resurrected. He confesses his sin. He's absolved of his sin. Um, and then uh, he is ready to answer God's call. Uh, Here I am, send me, in chapter uh, 6 verse 8. So a, a good way to understand these first eight verses in Isaiah 6 would be vision, confession, absolution, mission. All right, so I'll say that again. Vision in the year the king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord, okay. Confession, woe is me. Absolution coming from the altar, all right, um, it, since the early 4th century A.D., this holy, holy, holy has been in our communion liturgy, and we place ourselves right where Isaiah is, right? Because we have atoning gifts from the altar, the true body and blood of Jesus. So we have vision, confession, absolution from the altar, and then mission, here am I, send me. So what's going to happen then in the second part of Isaiah uh, is he's going to announce law, second part of Isaiah chapter 6, all right, uh, law, so that the nation then uh, undergoes a death and a resurrection as well. Uh, and the resurrection comes right at the end of chapter 6, a holy seed in its stump. That's not law of hope, but uh, we've all seen trees uh, cut down, and there's a stump, and there's a little growth coming. Uh, so there's the gospel. Not a lot of gospel to hold on to, but Isaiah is going to take that and run uh, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Oh, 
with a wonderful messianic promise. So last thing I'll say about this is uh, the fact that um, before Isaiah goes and preaches law and gospel, right, in the second half of chapter 6 of Isaiah, he himself undergoes a law-gospel experience, right? Yeah. So we, we would say, among other things, uh, that um, this is God's paradigm then for me and, and for all believers, right, uh, that I can speak more uh, authentically and joyfully and winsomely and passionately, right, about uh, God's judgment and grace in your life if it's actually happened in my life. So there's yeah. a little bit of Isaiah chapter 6. That's good. That's good. So now we, we have that, that story, that account of how Isaiah is called into ministry, the vision, the confession, the absolution, and now the mission in which he's given to preach both law and gospel. And again, he's given to do, do this in the historical context, the year that King Uzziah died into the reigns of the next three Judean kings, and yet the Lord remains king alone. So talk to us a little bit about that historical context in which Isaiah finds himself and the audience to whom he's given to preach in those years that come after 740 B.C. Oh, my. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Big questions, Dr. Lessing. Yes, it's, it's, I, I love it. I love it. Uh, so what we need to do then is understand that uh, really all is well, even after Uzziah dies, okay, um, but once we get like to chapter 7 uh, in Isaiah, uh, we're going to see that the, the, if I could use this phrase, the geopolitical landscape in the ancient Near East is about to radically change. That is to say, um, a God is stirring up uh, the Assyrians, whose capital at this point is Nineveh, modern-day Mosul in Iraq on the Tigris River, uh, and especially uh, this uh, Assyrian king called uh, Tiglath-Pileser III. Uh, so, as I often call him affectionately, TP3 is going to be on the march, uh, and he is going to conquer uh, the northern kingdom. Um, at least uh, a subsequent Assyrian king is going to. Uh, that would be uh, Sargon II, uh, and my point is, is that um, really toward the end of the 8th century BC, the Assyrian Empire is going to expand its borders and it's going to decimate the northern kingdom in 720. Uh, and it's certainly going to knock on Judah's door uh, in 701 BC, which actually takes us into uh, really chapters 36 through 39 in Isaiah. Uh, so the big picture here is there's a big bully on the block who's going to really turn everything upside down and inside out, not only for the north in 720, but uh, they are going to surround Jerusalem, they, the Assyrian army, uh, and uh, threaten to um, decimate Jerusalem as well. Although they don't, uh, there is going to be a, a miraculous uh, salvation uh, for Judah and Hezekiah in uh, chapter 37 of Isaiah. Okay, so with that geopolitical scene in place, with Assyria coming, knocking on Judah's door, ready to destroy, but again, the Lord miraculously saves, 
then what is Isaiah given to preach there in Jerusalem and in Judah within that context? Right. We would go back to the whole idea of uh, the king and the kingdom, all right? Um, so Isaiah, roughly, just in broad strokes, 1 to 39, is really going to accent the promises to the house of David. Uh, and this is an everlasting covenant. It can't be broken. Uh, and we have this uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's kind of the Magna Carta of the Davidic dynasty, an everlasting dynasty. David himself says in 2 Samuel 23, 5, that it's an everlasting covenant. So in spite of the fact that Uzziah dies and uh, the Assyrians are on the march, uh, it doesn't look good at all. Uh, there's a big storm on the western horizon. The Davidic dynasty will hold uh, come what may. So within these uh, first 39 chapters of Isaiah, the Davidic promises are going to point to, right, the coming final uh, Davidide, which would be Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have these uh, wonderful promises, right, like in 714, Again, this is to the house of David. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. You'll call him Emmanuel. Uh, in chapter 9, right, 1 through 6, uh, his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will sit on the throne of his father David. Uh, and then, as I said earlier in chapter 11, 1 through 9, another promise of the coming Messiah, the Savior, uh, David's uh, greatest descendant, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the first 39 chapters really highlight the Davidic promises. In chapters 40 to 55, we're going to see more of the suffering servant promises. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's just a huge idea to understand uh, what's going on in Isaiah. Uh, 1 to 39, David, a new David, Jesus. 40 to 55, a suffering servant, um, and what happened then uh, in first century Palestine is we had all of these uh, different Jewish groups, Pharisees, Zealots, Essenes, uh, Sadducees, Pharisees, etc. Uh, and there was only one first century Palestinian Jewish movement that said that the Messiah is going to be both the Davidic deliverer and the suffering servant uh, in one person. All right. And that would be... Uh, what is first called <laughs> the way in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, uh, later called in Acts eleven twenty-five, 25, uh, Christians. So we need to see that the whole Jesus movement is going to uh, take the first 39 chapters of Isaiah and the next 16 chapters of Isaiah, incorporate that into one person, and that's Jesus. He is a king, <laughs> see, uh, but he reigns, right, uh, from Calvary's cross. Hmm. Yeah. And I suppose you even see that as well in the last, what, 11 chapters of Isaiah as well, because Jesus' first sermon there in Nazareth comes from Isaiah chapter 61. Exactly. Exactly. What I like to say is that um, in broad strokes, 40 to 55 is going to be Luke's template for his gospel. And 56 to 66 is going to be Luke's template for the book of Acts. 
Um, so no doubt. I mean, you know, I said in broad strokes because in sure. uh, Isaiah 61, 1 to 2a, right, uh, this is going to be Jesus' inaugural sermon uh, in Nazareth at the synagogue uh, in uh, Luke's fourth chapter. So, Dr. Lessing, we got about three minutes or so before the break, and and as I mentioned at the outset, this is going to be a series on Isaiah 40 to 66, so the, the latter half of the book. And I think you mentioned earlier, what, chapters 36 to 39, maybe providing a bit of a transition mm-hmm. from the first part of Isaiah into the second. As we about, are about to go into the break, can you give us that, that transition? What happens at the end of Isaiah 1 to 39 that then sets the stage for 40 to 66? Right, so... Chapter 39, this event happened in 705 B.C., and I want to accent that because the earlier events um, in chapters 36 through 38 happened in 701 B.C., all right? Mm -hmm. So why would Isaiah arrange his book in a non-chronological way at this point? Um, Because 705 came before 701. Uh, But 39 is going to be the last uh, chapter and kind of the first movement of the book. Uh, So Isaiah really wants us to focus on um, this uh, uh, king named Merodach Baladan, who is going to send an envoy of uh, ambassadors to Jerusalem in 705 BC, and Hezekiah, uh, who's normally you know very faithful and trustworthy and and believes in God's promises, goes ahead and shows these envoys from Babylon all the treasuries of the Judean kingdom. And Isaiah says, "You shouldn't have done that. That's like giving them the missile codes or something." Um, and what does Hezekiah say? You know. If it happens, it happens, but it won't happen in my lifetime. And then, you know, the chapter ends. Uh, Well, we know what happened, right? The Babylonians did come, uh, and they did destroy Judah. Uh, And Isaiah then, in chapter 40, verse 1, is going to pick up uh, God's message to those people who uh, were uh, right in the crosshairs of Babylon in especially 587 B.C. All right, so that that sets the stage for picking up more on Isaiah 40 to 66 specifically, which we will do on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Dr. Reed Lessing this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, February 26th. We are introducing Isaiah chapters 40 to 66 with the Reverend Dr. Reed Lessing. He serves at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's also an associate pastor at Crossview Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota. Dr. Lessing, prior to the break, we made the transition from Isaiah chapter 39, in which the prophet recounts an incident with Hezekiah and some Babylonian envoys that start to bridge toward the Babylonian exile, which means that although Isaiah continues to live and work in the 8th century BC, he's going to now be preaching to people who have not yet been born. He's going to, to work toward a new audience, those Babylonian exiles. So, with that in mind, move us forward in history. We talked about the Assyrian Empire and its geopolitical context. How do we get from there to Babylon and then to Persia to set the scene for who Isaiah is writing to in chapters 40 to 66? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And just to kind of circle back on on one kind of Isianic uh, uh, timeline here. Um, so we said that he's called in, in uh, 740 BC. At the end of chapter 37, he records the death of an Assyrian king, uh, Sennacherib. All right. And Sennacherib is going to die by most people's best guesses in 682 BC. Uh, all of which is to say that Isaiah had a very long ministry, right, from 740 to at least 682 B.C. And and notice, if we go back to where we started our conversation, Isaiah 1, verse 1, he doesn't mention the next king after Hezekiah, because that's going to be Manasseh, who according to uh, tradition, uh, had Isaiah sawn in two. Um, all of which is to say Isaiah had some ministry, right, maybe 20 years or so in the 7th century as well. Okay, so then going back to um, the, the historical lead-up to chapter 40, um, and then maybe just to start where we started the first uh, conversation, we have the Egyptians are the enemies, right, of God's people, uh, and then the Canaanites are the enemies of God's people, right, in the book of uh, uh, Joshua and Judges. Uh, the Philistines come in, right, uh, like Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Um, so the Philistines become the enemies. Uh, really then up until um, the Assyrians come along, um, the, the Israelites and the Judeans uh, don't have a lot of external enemies. So we go from Egypt uh, to Canaan, to the Philistines, to the Assyrians, uh, and then the Assyrians are going to fall to the Babylonians in a, in a series of battles. But the most pivotal one was the Battle of Carchemish in uh, 605 B.C., so then the Babylonians are the bullies on the block, uh, beginning at the really the end of the 7th century B.C. Babylon is going to just be a little blip on the radar uh, because Babylon will fall to the Persians. And we can actually date this uh, October 12th, 539 B.C. Hmm. All right. Uh, so you can kind of do the math. It's about 70 uh, 80 plus years or so for Babylon. Persia is going to reign then for another couple hundred years uh, throughout the kind of the known literate world, the ancient Near East. Uh, so Isaiah is actually going to mention a Persian king by name, 
twice, wow. all right, in a 44, 28, and 45, 1. So if we, we start with Uzziah <laughs> in uh, 740, and we go to Cyrus, right, who defeated Babylon in October of 539 B.C., uh, that's a massive historical sweep of uh, Old Testament history. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so with, with Babylon then being the major world players after Assyria, you said 605 B.C., the Battle of Carchemish? Mm -hmm. What What is the Babylonian interaction then with Judah that leads Isaiah to write what he's going to write in chapters 40 to 66? Well, they're certainly going to come in and clobber Judah, Um they're going to actually have uh, four deportations to the land of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Quite often we say the Babylonian exile. Well, that, that would be a period of time in the Old Testament. There are actually four deportations, uh, among them being, uh, right, Jehoiachin uh, and Zedekiah, all right, uh, two of the uh, almost last kings of the Judean state. So it was... It, if you know you're watching the news and you see uh, what's happening in the Gaza Strip, I mean it's like almost scorched earth policy, right? Um, so think about the Babylonians doing that to the Judeans uh, in the early part of the sixth century BC. Uh, so really, there's hardly nothing left. The Solomonic Temple is out. Uh, the last king Zedekiah is blinded. His four sons are butchered, slaughtered right before he himself is blinded. The high priest is slaughtered, Zechariah, uh, and uh, most of the brightest and best, the public leaders, the officials, the uh, uh, literate, uh, are all taken to Babylon. So uh, it is, uh, you know, mighty Casey has struck out. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so what, what then does Isaiah need to preach to these who have gone into exile? Right, so uh, this is um, pretty easy to... Uh, understand chapters 40 to 55, all right? Because uh, 56 to 66, that's that's going to be a, a different part of Isaiah's ministry. So I'm just going to handle these 16 chapters now. Sure. Uh, so chapter 40 is the introduction, all right? Um, and uh, chapter 55 is the conclusion. We've all heard sermons, right? Usually there's an introduction, there's a conclusion. Sure. So this is like a sermon, actually. Uh, and so then 41 through 48 uh, is getting Israel out of Babylon, all right? Uh, if, if we just want to look at the end of chapter 48, uh, this is the call. This is what the, the, the pastor is saying. He's saying, uh, what in chapter 48? Um, he says at the end, verse uh, 20, uh, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, right? So get out of Dodge, right? There's no future for you in Babylon. And Chaldea is just synonymous with Babylon. Declare with a shout of joy, send it out to all the earth, all right? Um, so that's 41 through 48. Get uh, the exiles out of Babylon. And actually, you know, if you read... Uh, the first three chapters, four chapters of Ezra, um, you would have kind of the historical background of Cyrus's decree that uh, let the exiles go home. Um, so you get uh, the Judeans, the Israelites out of Babylon, but then 49 through 54, you got to get Babylon out of Israel. All right. Um, so there is a... Uh, 
uh, geopolitical salvation, right, uh, in 41 through 48. There's a spiritual salvation there through the suffering servant in chapters 49 through 54. And then you have the conclusion. Okay, so with, with that, then, with Israel needing to come out of Babylon, and then Babylon needing to come out of Israel, uh, perhaps it, it would be helpful to know a little bit about the Babylonian context and the idolatry that was present in Babylon to, to help make that distinction between Isaiah preaching the Lord mm-hmm. as the only king, as you said, right, and right. the propaganda that's present there in Babylon. Yeah, propaganda. So a good way for our listeners to understand this is to just uh, review in their mind uh, the first six chapters of Daniel. All right. Uh, those are pretty well-known stories like Daniel and Lion's Den and the three men in the fiery furnace, etc. Well, all of that is really taking place pretty much at the same time that um, these exiles that are receiving uh, these uh, chapters in Isaiah are also in Babylon. So Babylon is going to uh, offer everything and deliver nothing. Now, let me uh, drill down on that a little bit uh, to understand a little bit of these chapters in Isaiah and the book of Daniel, at least the first six chapters of Daniel. We need to know that the Babylonians had something called an Ikitu New Year's festival. All right. Uh and in this Akitu New Year's Festival, probably like Times Square or something, right? Just there's something, you know, a big party and celebrating the new year. Uh, they would reenact, all right, reenact how they believe the world was created uh, by their chief god, Marduk. Not Marmaduke. He's actually in my comic strips most days, all right? The big dog. I'm not talking about him. Uh, but Marduk defeats another Babylonian goddess named Tiamat. And what happens at this New Year's festival is they would say in their Akkadian language, it sounds like this, Marduka Masuru, Marduk is king. So in these chapters 41 through 48, right, uh, as uh, you noted, Tim, uh, we're going to see uh, Yahweh as called king. Second point on this is what was the the payoff? Why would you worship Marduk and and why would you go to this Akitu festival? Uh, you know what's in it for you? Um, shalom, shalom. That's what's in for you. All right, uh, shalom, peace. Translated in our English versions, shalom means well being. It means prosperity. It means wholeness. It means. Uh, uh, you know, maximizing your life. Um, so at the end of chapter 48, right, what does he say? There's no shalom for the wicked, all right? Well, who are the wicked? The people who stay in Babylon. There's no shalom for, if you stay in Babylon, if you're caught in that sick culture, um, then, then they promise you shalom, uh, but it won't happen, all right? Uh, and then when you go to chapter 53 in Isaiah, uh, verse 5, right? He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. What's peace? By his wounds were healed. See, so it's wholeness. It's it's not the absence of warfare. That's how we understand peace, right? But it's wholeness. It's healing, all right? Uh, so this is, this is what's being contested, 
I mean, it, we live in the same culture. I mean, it's just the world, the way it's always been. The world always offers a counterfeit shalom, uh, a glitzy shalom, uh, a cheap shalom, a, a shalom that has no substance. Um, and yet these chapters in Isaiah say, oh, you know, the, the shalom that we need uh, is delivered by the suffering servant. Okay, so you've, you've mentioned the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant, a number of times already. He is a, a key figure within especially chapters 40 to 55. And again, this is going to be one of those big questions. So try to try to distill it down as much as you can. Who Who is this servant of the Lord? What does Isaiah say about him? Okay, so there are two servants, two servants, all right? Uh, so that, we've, we just have to kind of you know, repeat that like a mantra. There's two servants. There's two servants. Okay. The first servant would be these people in exile in Babylon, right? They're called God's servant. So if you look at chapter 42, which you will, I know I'm just doing the overview, but chapter uh, 42, you'll have what is often called the first servant song. It begins, behold, my servant who I uphold, etc." All right. Well, this servant... If you go down uh, to uh, chapter 42, verse 18, Hear you, deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see who is blind, Isaiah 42, verse 19, but my servant, my servant. So the people, the Israelites, the Judeans in Babylon, have become blind servants. And the only way you get blind in the book of Isaiah is you are an idolater. All right, because you become like what you worship, and these idols don't have eyes, and you don't either. That is spiritualized. So this servant, who's called to be a light to the nations, okay, uh, to to bring forth uh, uh, the gospel, um, this servant is rejected then in chapter forty-eight. So we need a new servant, just as we had a first Adam and. We need a second Adam, right? So we had a first servant, Israel, who needs a second servant. So the second Adam and the second servant would be, of course, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in chapter 49, uh, we have uh, the call of the second servant who is actually going to succeed in bringing God's light to the nations. Uh, uh, but he will succeed not by uh, running roughshod over his enemies. Uh, we would go to the third servant song, and uh, here we begin to see um, that this servant is going to suffer deeply, deeply. It says, for example, in 40 verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting, which certainly then prepares us for uh, 52, 13 through 53, 12, right? The fourth servant song. Now, I, I, <laughs> I just want to uh, conclude uh, with the last verse in chapter 54, all right? So remember, this is the end of the, the, the sermon. Uh, chapter 55 is going to kind of recap things. So uh, most pastors, right, you're really, uh, you know, thinking what is going to be my final point that then I can kind of wrap up in the next paragraph or two. So what's Isaiah's final new point? Okay, uh, well, it's in chapter 54, verse 17, uh, where it says that, 
there would be the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their vindication is from me. This is the only time you have servants, plural, in Isaiah 40.55. So who are these servants who are vindicated, declared righteous, see, uh, from the Lord? This would be the community, right? The exiles, right? Um, that they now are going to be servants, suffering servants themselves. But they have been declared vindicated and righteous by the suffering servant, who, by the way, right, uh, in chapter 53, uh, we are told in verse 11 that he declares many, here it comes, righteous, righteous. So there's a story going on, all right? So let me recap it for you. Um, Israel is called a servant in chapter 42. Uh, they fail miserably because they're idolaters. God didn't give up on them, sends a substitute servant who, who dies for them uh, and, and declares them righteous by his death. And then these people, right, are vindicated and they can take up their servant calling. It's a wonderful story uh, in these uh, uh, chapters of Isaiah. And I think it's it's especially helpful to have that story in your mind for a book like Isaiah, because so much of it is written in Hebrew poetry, which sometimes isn't the it's not the way that we think as much. And so to have that narrative in your mind to see how even within the poetry there's a story progressing, so that you have these servants now here in chapter fifty four. It's so helpful. Can you can you carry that forward into chapters fifty six to sixty six for us? Then we got about nine minutes here, and I want to at least touch on those chapters. Yes, a little bit. no. So so uh, what we have uh, is the uh, the introduction uh, to fifty six to sixty six, uh, and we have um, the destiny of the servants. Uh, so, for example, a, a good place to, to go. Uh, could be in uh, 56, uh, verse 6. Foreigners will join themselves to the Lord, minister to him, love the name of the Lord, and be his servants. Servants. So the, the big question over the last 11 chapters in Isaiah is what's the destiny of these servants? Um, and as I kind of put it in my Isaiah 56 to 66 commentary, and as, as I said earlier, um, the book of Acts is going to uh, tell us what is the destiny of this new community of servants called disciples of Jesus or people of the way or Christians. Um, so uh, throughout these uh, last 11 chapters, then, uh, we will see uh, what happens uh to these uh, servants of the suffering servant. Well, I just kind of gave away what's going to happen. They're going to suffer, all right? Um, sometimes uh, in excruciating ways, uh, but they will be finally vindicated uh, in the new Jerusalem, which Isaiah is going to pick up uh, in a number of chapters, but especially uh, chapter 65, um, yeah, so uh, that's the big question uh, hanging over the last 11 chapters. And and within that, then, the, the servant, who you have the four servant songs in chapters 40 to 55, the servant, Jesus, he remains a central figure there in 56 to 66. I think, if I recall in your commentary, you, you put that, what's called the fifth servant song a lot of times, right in the, uh, the center of that book. Correct, correct. In these last 11 chapters, 
uh, if you would outline these chapters. This is not me and my commentary, but uh, this is probably what people have been doing the last 20 years with these last 11 chapters of Isaiah, is you uh, put, put everything on a grid, uh, and then you find out that really right in the middle uh, would be 61, 1 through 3. Uh, and so that's a wonderful um, a way to organize our lives in Christ. We're called to be servants, right? Uh, that uh, our lives are organized uh, around this um, spirit-empowered servant uh, who comes to announce the year of the Lord's favor, which is the Jubilee from Leviticus 25. Uh, so all roads in these last 11 chapters really point to the fifth servant song. Uh, which is, right, our Lord's first sermon uh, at his uh, home synagogue in Nazareth uh, in uh, the middle of Luke chapter 4. So we've got about six minutes now, Dr. Lessing, and we've mentioned a number of connections to the New Testament and, and clearly how these texts are fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. You said earlier that Luke acts especially it makes use of Isaiah 40 to 55 and then 56 to 66. Where else in the New Testament is Isaiah, whether this section or from the whole book, a very prominent, uh, provide very prominent background? Right. P uh, people who study Mark's gospel uh, will say that uh, especially 40 to 55 has had a, a huge uh, imprint on Mark. Um, and that's probably Peter, since he's uh, probably the one who uh, uh, right historically helped Mark write his gospel. Um, but uh, this really uh, pivotal verse in Mark chapter 10, uh, I believe it's verse 45, um, and there it is, Mark 10, 45. Um, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. All right? Um, so this is the clearest, right, uh, atonement language that we have in Mark, uh, and Matthew is going to uh, repeat it, uh, assuming Mark became came before Matthew, uh, but Matthew is going to repeat it in chapter 22 of his gospel um, with the same idea, the Son of Man uh, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So let's just unpack that, right? Uh, not to uh, be served, but to serve, right? Well, that's that's the whole idea with the 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 five servant songs in Isaiah. To give his life as a ransom for many, many. Now, um, uh, let's unpack that a little bit, uh, because that is also uh, Isianic, um, emphasis in the fourth servant song, all right? Uh, so the word many is going to appear five times in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, all right? Uh, and then, of course, we have this in the words of institution, right? Uh, this is my blood of the covenant shed for many. And then, you know, the Son of Man statement, many. Uh, well, <laughs> what do we do with that? Um, time doesn't allow us to unpack all of the issues around the word many. But I would uh, want to start the discussion in chapter 2 of Isaiah, verse 3. All right. Um, 
really at the end of verse 2, chapter 2. Um, and, and, you know, chapter 2, 1 through 5 is, is a, a good kind of landing place for the whole book as well. Um, but anyway, um, it says at the end of 2, verse 2, all nations shall flow to it, to it, the, the new Zion, the church, right? Um, but then look at the beginning of verse 3 of Isaiah 2. And many people shall come and say, oh, oh, I mean, this is huge, all right? For Isaiah, all right, many is equivalent to what? All. All the nations. All. You see, the, the problem is if Jesus died for many, uh, then I don't have much of a gospel. Um, but he died for all. And, and really, and I'll, I'll stop with this, um, I think. <laughs> but uh, Paul, this is, to answer your other question, where's another place in the New Testament? Uh, Paul is going to dabble into Isaiah 40:55 in Romans. But in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 16 through 21, all right? 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, um, would be Paul's theological observations of the four servants song, all right? So this isn't just like me saying this. This is pretty much a consensus in Pauline scholarship. But what does Paul say? How does he interpret the many? See, well, let's take a look. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ reconciling the many to himself. Is that what it says? <laughs> right. We know it doesn't. The world, the world, all right? This is Paul, all right, who is the definitive interpreter of the Bible along with Jesus. Uh, but I also want to accent the world because the program in Isaiah 40, 50, uh, 55 and then through the end of the book, chapter 66, is a cosmic renewal, a cosmic reconciliation, is what Paul teaches like in Ephesians 1.10 and Colossians 1.20, um, that uh, through the, the blood of Jesus, God is going to reconcile all things to himself. So we got to think really big, all right, uh, when we think about Isaiah. That's right. Yep. Isaiah has that that beautiful picture of a, for us of Jesus, our suffering servant, who suffers for the many for all to make us righteous by his grace alone. We're going to discover that and so much more as we study these chapters of Isaiah over the coming weeks. The Reverend Dr. Reed Lessing serves at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. As the Edwin F. and Esther L. Letch Chair of Old Testament Studies, he is also the Director of the Center for Biblical Studies and the Director of the Pre-Seminary Program there, and he serves as Associate Pastor at Crossview Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota. Dr. Lessing, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Tim. Always a pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. I'm looking forward to going through this part of Isaiah with you over the coming months as we discover and see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has suffered, who has been raised, and who is now ascended to the Father's right hand and is returning to bring us to his new creation. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.
Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.